So about 12 years ago, my sister and my niece and nephew were flying into DIA, and I had to go pick them up. At the time, I was not a parent, so I was driving this lifted Jeep Wrangler that I loved. But I thought, you know, I don't want to take that with the soft top all the way over the passes, um, too many miles, plus it's not fun on the interstate. So I just rented like a basic car and drove to the airport to pick up my sister and my niece and nephew who were five and six. And we were driving back to Grand Junction over the passes and right before you come into Silverthorne, we were going about 70 miles an hour, cruising a little bit downhill, and we came around a blind corner. And as we were doing that, we hit a puddle, and the car just totally hydroplaned, and it was going out of control. It started to go a little bit sideways in both directions, went into the other lane, and then ultimately, totally outside of my control, go, crashed into the guardrail going about 70 miles an hour. And we hit at the front uh, driver's side against the guardrail, and then that impact swung the backside of the car around, driver's side rear, and smashed against the guardrail again. And then there was this horrific sound, y'all. It sounded like a can opener type thing, screeching down the entire side of this rental car. I finally got the vehicle under control, came to a stop on the other side of the interstate where you're supposed to stop, asked my niece and nephew and sister, was everyone okay? The kids were screaming, crying. We got everybody calmed down. I got out of the vehicle to determine how bad the damage was because 70 miles an hour against the guardrail and a long scratch. I was 100% expecting the car to possibly not be drivable. So as I'm walking around the vehicle, to my absolute shock, there was not one single scratch or dent on this rental car. Not one single scratch. I was so blown away, I got my sister out of the car, and before I walked her around, I said, what, did ha what just happened? And she's like, we hit the guardrail twice. And I said, right, and what else? And she's like, and we scratched like really bad. And she's like, don't worry, Jail. It's what insurance is for. The kids and I, we're all fine. Like, no one's hurt. Don't worry. It's not that big a deal. It's just a car. And I said to my sister, Nicole, I know that, but there is no damage on the car. We argue on the side of the interstate as to whether or not this is possible. I walk her around the vehicle and I show her not only at 70 miles an hour did we hit the guardrail twice and scratch the snot out of the side of the vehicle and hurt it all, but the car was somehow undamaged and the children and my sister and I were safe and we did not go over the cliff, which is what was on the other side of the guardrail. It was in this moment that I began to have a deep appreciation for guardrails. And I don't know if that sounds crazy or not, but if it wasn't for the guardrail, we would have gone over the cliff and all died in a fiery wreck of horror. But because of a guardrail on the side of an interstate, a small piece of metal on the side of an interstate, we were completely safe. And that is such an important concept to realize because tonight I'm gonna to talk about a completely different type of guardrail, a guardrail that we choose of our own accord to set up to protect us from going over the cliff into sexual immorality. We're in part two of our series called Yellow Hearts and the whole idea from last week was we've all had successes and we've all had failures when it comes to our sexual life and the important thing is that our next step matters. 
It, the next decision we make towards purity is important to us. It's important to God. It's important to our bodies. It's important to our future spouses. So whether we've done well or we think we've done poorly or somewhere in between, wherever we're at, the next step, the next choice matters when it comes to our purity. And so that day I realized a whole lot of stuff about guardrails. And we're going to talk about guardrails and how guardrails ultimately protect us from going over that cliff in our own life. But I want to hear from you. So we've set up a survey, and this is how you log in. You can go uh, to live.4640gj.com. Go ahead and log on to that on your phone, live.4640gj.com. And you're going to have the opportunity to tell us some information that we, and we're going to put it up on the screen uh, with a slight delay, but we're asking you to tell us your honest opinion, but we're also asking, because we're going to put it on the screen, please don't be vulgar, just tell us your opinion. You can be blunt, but don't be vulgar. That's kind of the line. So these answers are going to go to the soundboard, and then they're going to go up on the screen, and the question that I want you to be considering is this. Why do we date? As a society, as a culture of high school students, what is the purpose of dating? How has dating affected you, good or bad? Um, how, how is it impacting you? What do you think the goal or the purpose of dating is? Why have you maybe personally chosen to date in the past? Or why have you chosen potentially not to date in the past? What's kind of your experience? And then what are you getting out of dating? So I realized I threw like 10 questions at you all at once. You can answer any of them that you want. Just one, more than once. But log on to live.4640gga.com and just tell us your opinion. Raw and unfiltered. Blunt is allowed. Vulgar, please not. And then we're going to put those answers up on the screen and we're going to talk about them for a brief second before we dive too deeply into our topic tonight. But you may have heard, if you've been around 4640 for any length of time, that we encourage you to put off dating as long as possible. Um, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt start dating at a certain age, or thou shalt not date until a certain age. We just encourage you to wait as long as possible because, well, drama, well, temptation are the main reasons. But the truth is that all around you every day in high school, Dating is clearly the norm. So we just want to have an honest talk about it. Um, someone wrote to have someone to hang out with. That makes perfect sense. I think we live in a world that's very coupled. People are coupled up everywhere around us. And so just having that person to hang out with, to go to dances with, to go to movies with, um, to just chill with is really, really important. Not Netflix and chill, hopefully. Okay, let's check out. Do we have a next one available? Not quite, maybe. Yes, we do. We're thinking. That's a different one. Oh, to have someone there for you. Yeah, to have someone there for you. There's a human need for connection. We need, we want to need people. We want people to need us. We want people to be there for us. That's a human need. And I think that is a really valid reason for people to date. I think it's authentic to why people date. Um, super necessary. To get married. Ooh, excellent. Someone's thinking of marriage at 15. Very Good. Um, you might not be ready right now, but yes, there is one. Basically, the ultimate reason is you either have to get married or you have to break up. So to get married could be um, to feel less lonely. Absolutely. We need those people to be there. We need that companionship. Sometimes having that significant other that's supposed to be putting us first um, above everyone else besides Jesus, that can help us to feel less lonely. And that is a huge reason that people date. Go ahead. For someone who is willing 
to be there for us in everything. Yeah, that's something the human heart craves, to have someone who will walk with us through the ups and downs of life, the stresses, the challenges of life. That can be a very big deal, to have someone who's there with us in everything. The guy was hot. Okay, thank you for being honest. Um, it's true. Sometimes we date because the guy's hot, because the girl's hot. That is absolutely the truth. Um, Jesus is aware of that, just so you know. That doesn't freak him out. We're perfectly, it's the social norm, for sure. It is absolutely the social norm. Um, a lot of statistics are letting us know that students, on average, do start dating around 13 and 14 years old. That's no surprise to any of us. I feel like dating is a way for me to feel like a normal teenager. Right? It's the social norm, back to that same thing. It helps us feel normal. It helps us feel um, like we're a part of the social culture around us. And so a lot of people choose uh, to date. All right, do we have any more different ones? We have a lot. Okay. To not get made fun of and be the innocent one. Innocent is a big insult in high school. I think that's, that, that's actually quite true. It's kind of a bummer because innocent is precious and valuable in the eyes of God. Purity matters to God, but also it is absolutely true uh, because everyone is doing it. Yes, I, I know. Everyone is dating, um, and many of your peers are sexually active and, and even taking that to the next level because everyone's doing it, all right? I believe that we date to marry, yes. Um, some people, that's absolutely where we're headed. In the end, most people have a goal in life of eventually marrying. Dating is a way of figuring out if we should marry this person or that person. Um, yep, you, you either marry or you break up. I think there's one that's obvious that's not being said, probably because we're in church, um, unless you guys are censoring it over there, but I think some people straight up date for the sex. It's just kind of true. I think it's okay to say that. You got any more or are you guys out? We're out. Okay, we're out. No one, no one said the sex one, but... I think you're all holding back a little bit. I think another reason we might date is it does, it can help us to get to know the opposite sex. Like it helps us figure out a little bit in relationships, figure out maybe what we're looking for or understand that person. There's also this truth that I think um, is helpful to understand. Brittany, will you come here for a second, help me? I want you to imagine, um, this, is, this is sort of what happens when we date. Um, the idea behind dating is we get to know someone. And at first, that getting to know someone can be very simple, very basic, getting to know their names, their hobbies, their likes and dislikes. We get to know someone. And as we get to know someone, we might decide to then date them and get a little bit more serious. And as we do, something begins to happen. At first, we begin to connect with someone just a little bit. The initial connection begins to happen. These are two giant pieces of tape, in case you cannot tell. The initial connection begins to happen. We stick into a relationship, and we're kind of a little bit stuck together. And at first, the intimacy, emotional intimacy, friendship intimacy, physical intimacy is small, and the connection is small. But over time, the longer we're in the relationship, the more we really get to know that person, the more we become comfortable with that person, the more we, we become intimate, emotionally and physically with that person. If we truly love someone at a soulless level that we're dating, there's something that happens where we want our physical relationship and our physical closeness to match that emotional closeness. And so what begins to happen over the weeks and months or years, depending of the relationship, is that the bond becomes strong. 
And at some point, a lot of times sex or certain sex acts or sexual intimacy comes into the relationship and sex is designed to bond. It really is. That is the purpose God invented sex. He made it with the intention of giving it to humankind for the purpose of bonding. And when we're in relationships, that's what it's designed to do. We eventually get married. We have sex with our spouse and that bonds us together and it creates love in our relationship at a whole nother level than just emotional. It creates physically. But in a high school relationship, if you're not in it to marry and you're not already married, then what inevitably happens is you either date and marry or you date and eventually break up. And so the breakup, when there's intimacy involved, emotional intimacy or physical intimacy, what begins to happen is you have to tear yourself apart. And if you've ever been in a serious dating relationship and had to break up, you know what this feels like. As you begin to tear yourself away from that other person, it's incredibly complicated. It's incredibly complicated to separate the pieces of yourself from the pieces of them. And in the end, parts of you and parts of them are intertwined forever and cannot be fully removed. Is that the best you could really do? Try to turn the bottom. Maybe there's a little bit, you did worse on the bottom with the taping job. See if you can rip it apart. But what happens is, as we've given not just our heart and our soul, not just our emotional self, but our physical body to another human being, it's hard to pry it apart. And then when we do pry it apart, and we go on, if, if Brittany actually can get any pieces off, but if we rip ourselves apart, and then we go into our next relationship, the sticking power is less. And the authentic self that we have to offer is less. And many people who begin dating as young middle schoolers or um, even late middle school, they'll end up having five, 10, 15, maybe even 20 relationships between when they start dating and when they marry. And as a result, there's pieces of them that they never have to give back to their spouse. There's pieces of them that are left with their ninth grade boyfriend, thinks Britt, their 10th grade boyfriend, their 11th grade boyfriend, their college boyfriend. There's parts of them that are never fully the same. The bonding power of sexuality lessens every time we rip it apart from that relationship. And so is the reason I've said for 21 years of being a youth pastor that I say, hey guys, put off dating as long as you can, it's not because I think you're incapable of love. It's actually that I know you are. I 100% have seen over and over again high school students completely capable of love. And they get in relationships and they love and they love deeply, and they love wholly, and they love emotionally, and in the end they love physically, and they become physically intimate, and then they break up. Because you're either gonna get married or you're gonna break up. And nobody's likely to date someone from age 14 to age 22 or three, and actually the average age of a first marriage in the United States is 27. And so they're either gonna get married or they break up. And when they break up, it's like no different than a divorce. We talk about how painful it is for adults who are married to divorce. And many of you have experienced a divorce in the lives of your family and you realize what that's like, but it's really no different than the pain that you feel when you break up. So students who date young, starting at age 14, 15, 16 years old, and maybe break up 15 times or more before they have 
And I'm not even talking about sexual partners yet, just breaking up. It's like they've gotten divorced 15 times before they even get married. And that is really incredibly painful. It's not that I don't think that you are capable of love, it's that I know that you are. And because I know that you are, I encourage you to wait as long as possible. And maybe that sounds crazy to you. Um, it's crazy to a lot of people. And it's, we, just like many of you text in, it's the normal thing to do to date. It makes you feel like you fit in. It's uncool to be innocent in high school. Those are all truths in our culture. That is absolutely how our culture views it. Also, it saves you so much drama and heartache. And you might think, well, that's pretty much impossible to do. And maybe it is. I'm not saying don't date forever. I'm just saying wait as long as you can. The longer you wait, the less likely you'll have that emotional divorce. Um, when I was a teenager, I made the choice early on to not date. Um, I actually went through high school. I had tons of guy friends, hung out in guy and girl co-ed groups. In the end, uh, didn't date in high school. Went to Bible college, was around all kinds of, again, guys and girls, tons of social events, school dances, all the normal stuff, but didn't have an exclusive dating relationship. Came here to Grand Junction, began pastoring, didn't have a dating relationship until I was 30. And the first guy I did not blow off when he asked me out is now my husband. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, what everybody's story is or that's the only right story, but I will say it saved me a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of stress and a whole bunch of heartache. And when he asked me out at 30, I had never kissed a man. I had never even held a man's hand. And that's intense. It's absolutely, I even hear you sneakering over there. Um, I get it. That's, that's intense and it might not be the normal experience, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad I did. And I'm just throwing that out there. I'm, even if you can wait six more months or a year or have to go through one less um, dating divorce in your life, it's absolutely worth it um, to be able to give a more authentic whole self to your spouse someday. Um, the Bible says it this way. It says in Song of Solomon chapter eight, it says, promise me, do not awaken love before the time is right. So at 16 is the time right. Thank you for that very churchy answer. You're correct, it's, it's not, but, but, <laughs> but people usually do it. The reason it's, it's not is because it's unlikely that you'll take a wife at age 16. It's unlikely that you'll take a husband at age 14, 15. It, it, the average age is 27. And so the closer you can get to, to, to older, the older you get, the less you have to experience. And here's the other thing. If you're not dating someone, you're less likely to have sex. Right? If you're not in a relationship, you're less likely to have sex, which overall means it's easier to resist sexual immorality, uh, to resist sinning. So another thing is, I did some research preparing for this sermon tonight, and I found a study, and the study is out of the University of Texas in Austin, and it says, um, and it was published in Psychological Science, and it says, these findings, and it's all about uh, when people have their first sexual encounter, and how they report that their long-term sexual happiness is in their life as, as older adults and, and how stable they view their romantic relationships. It's kind of studied the correlation of all that. So here's the summary of their entire publishing. It says, these findings indicate that the timing of when a person has a sexual intercourse clearly influences the stability and quality of future romantic relationships. 
This is a very scientific explanation. The younger the sexual experiences first occur, the less stability and the lower quality of romantic experiences these participants report later in life. You have sex too early, you tend to have unstable, unhealthy, long-term romantic relationships in your 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. When the first sexual experience occurs in a person's life, according to this study, is a predictor of whether people will have stable romantic relationship as young adults. If they are sexually active earlier in life, they report less, they are less likely to report happy sex lives as adults. So the question is, do you want it now or do you want it long-term? You want it, you want to have the most healthy, stable relationship you can have long-term. And that's what God is really saying. He's not offended by sex. He's not bothered by it. He invented it, he created it, and he gave it to us as a gift. And in doing so, he set the, he set the standard of where and how sex is supposed to be given. So is dating in high school wrong? Absolutely not. It's just stressful. Is dating in high school a sin? No, it is not. It just brings drama and costs you money. Um, Guys, right? It's very expensive. We women like expensive things. Sorry about it. It's just true. So it's not a sin. I want to be clear. I don't want you to feel guilt or shame or think that, that I'm judging you if you are dating. I'm just trying to save you the drama. That's really what it comes down to, um, but it's not wrong. Now, let's talk about the standards that are clear in the Bible, what standards God does set. And the first one I want to state really clearly is God does instruct us that if we are Christ followers, that any dating relationship we enter into should be with another Christian. We should not date a non-believer. And, and even one step further, if you really study the context of the scripture, what you'll find is you should date a believer just as serious about their relationship with God as you are. And so if you consider yourself a Christ-centered person, then you shouldn't when you introduce me to your girlfriend or your boyfriend and I ask you like on the side, like, hey, does he, does he go to church? Does he know God? And you're like, I don't know. His parents maybe, I think he goes to Catholic church sometimes. I'm not really sure. Okay, he can be Catholic, but he needs, you need to know. You should be able to tell by how he talk. He should be talking about God. He should be talking about his involvement to church. There should be some true connection when it comes to that. We should date someone equal and this is how the Bible says, the equal in their faith. First Corinthians 6 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not make mismatch alliances with them inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership does, can right living have and right standing with God have with sin and lawlessness? Or how can, we, how can light have fellowship with darkness? So the idea is, if you consider Jesus center to your life, then whoever it is you choose to date, whenever you do date them, whether it's now or five years from now or 10 years from now, they should be just as serious about God as you. And if you can't find someone just as serious about God as you, then you should wait to date because that person is not the right match. And I know that's hard because you don't feel like you, you won't, you'll feel left out. I absolutely felt like a dork sometimes and absolutely felt left out of various things in high school. It's, it's uncomfortable. But also, um, I don't care what those people think anymore. And I have a super awesome husband who I love and a great family life and a strong marriage. And guess what? My friends from high school, not in the same position. Even though they were Christians and stuff, they, their marriages are a mess because they had four or five different sexual partners in high school and what they had to give in their marriage was, was kind of 
mangled, if you will. So the Bible lets us know don't, we can date, but, but we need to choose who we date and be equally matched. So now the real question, this is what students always want to know, the age-old question, how far is too far? So let's imagine that you're dating and that you're in a relationship and, and you're connected at a heart level. You care about this person. Like they matter to you, you matter to them. There's significance there. You've gotten to know each other really well and there's a significant heart emotional connection. There's something natural and human that makes us want to be physically intimate because we're emotionally intimate. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the question itself, which I will answer in a minute, if I don't run out of time, but I will answer. The question itself, how far can I go? Meaning, where is sin sexually versus what's okay? How much can I get away with in making out before it becomes sin? That's the essence of this question. And here's the problem with the question. Um, the problem is the question exposes the heart. And the heart is to get away with as much as we can as opposed to be as close to Jesus as we can. The question exposes that, that when we ask the question a little bit, we have the wrong heart. We're trying to sin as, we're trying to get as close to sin as we can instead of as close to God as we can. So student, but students ask me, I get this question so many times a year, how far can I go before I am actually sinning? Most um, people understand that the Bible says intercourse outside of marriage is sin, but what about other things? Um, and I can get weird and name them all for you, but what about these other things? Are they sin or are they not sin? So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. God created sex, so he tells us the context with which we can experience sex. And God says that sex should be between one man and one woman who are married, and that's it. it, it is, it, there's no other appropriate biblical context for sex. And you may disagree, and that's, you can disagree, but I'm letting you know what God says as the inventor of sex and what's clearly written in the Bible. So when you are married, you can have as much sex as you want, and it's awesome. It is awesome. I, I think it's a whole lot of fun. And I encourage you to get married someday and you, you too can have some fun. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you're welcome. In the meantime, you have to address this question of like how, how far is too far as you're connecting with this human being, how much is too much, how close can I get to the line and that, that becomes a question. The simple answer is, again, I can make a whole list. I, I can make a list. Is it too far to go up the shirt? Is it, don't answer, okay? I'm not, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. I see people like struggling, like, do I speak out? Do I keep my mouth shut? It's okay to just let it float by as a question. Okay, so, so is it too far to go up the shirt, but okay to go up the shirt, but not okay to go down the pants? I mean, where are those lines? And people wanna know because some people, they're in these relationships, they love this person, they're emotionally connected, they love God, they wanna honor God, and this would be my answer. You know how far is too far. If you're asking the question, you've probably already felt guilty about going too far a little bit. Um, but when your hormones start raging and it creates a hunger or a lust inside of you and it's pushing you and you recognize if given the opportunity, I would be like JL's car going 70 miles an hour over the cliff. That's when you know you got to back it off. You got to have a guardrail. And guardrails are things we set up in our sexual life to protect us from going off the cliff. 
It's something we set up. It's a boundary we set up before the cliff. It, does you, it would have done me no good coming down that pass in Silverthorn to have the guardrail 10 feet off the cliff or right on the cliff. I would have gone over the cliff. The guardrail has to be somewhere where it's still safe so I can smash into it at 70 miles an hour and not die, right? And so with our sex lives, we have to set up a guardrail not on the very edge of the line of what is the most we can get away with, but somewhere inside in a safe spot. So if and when we crash into it at 70 miles an hour, we're still safe. So here's some guardrails I set up for myself when I was dating. I was 30 years old. I had my own house. My, at that time, my boyfriend had his own house. We did not live with other adults, obviously, because we were adults. Our parents were, mine were in Wisconsin. Um, we made a rule. We said, you know what? Um, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. JL gets um, really emotional and dramatic, and Lavelle gets cranky, and we become needy, and um, we become tempted. And so, you know what? We're just going to say goodnight at 10 o'clock and call it a night. And, and setting that boundary, did anyone make me have that guardrail? No, but it really helped. Did I like it? No, I did not. It sucked. Um, <laughs> but... It was a good guardrail to keep me from plummeting off the cliff into things that I knew I didn't want to do. Um, another thing that I did was we made a rule, nothing below the neck. This is your neck. Everything below, don't touch it. Everything above, cool. You can't get into too much trouble if both of you stay above the neck. Um, I know, again, weird. Is that where sin, is that the line of sin? No, it's not. But it's a guardrail somewhere definitely before the line of going off the cliff, right? Another one is um, never be in the same room with the person with the door closed. So if you're at his house and you're watching Netflix, but not intending to chill, be in the living room where the little sister can walk by. It's going to be unlikely he's going to put his hands up your shirt if his sister is in the room or could easily walk by. So that's what keeps it just Netflix, okay? So if you're at a house and there's no other human beings in the house, then you're behind the closed front door. It's very easy to go 70 miles an hour off the cliff. But if you're in a house with multiple other people running around doing their own thing, that guardrail of, hey, we're not in his bedroom, we're not in the rec room, bonus room by ourselves with the door closed where no one knows what's going on, and we can quickly get our hands back to ourselves and our blankets covering things before anyone barges in, that doesn't stop us from going over the cliff. So the guardrail becomes that we put in place and others that I respect put in place is we just don't close the door. Door has to stay open. Was anyone making us do that? No, but it helped me not go over the cliff. Um, this is a weird one, but let's just phrase it this way so that it's less awkward. Um, avoid horizontal kissing. Okay? This is vertical. I am currently vertical, right? So horizontal would be... Right? Horizontal kissing. Okay? That would be laying down side by side, body by body, with parts touching, even clothed and blanketed, kissing. Do you know what happens when you do that? you go quickly over the cliff. But if you just say, you know what, when we kiss, we're gonna stand up. <laughs> There's a lot less things going on there. All right, so many awkward things discussed, but these are things that you have to think about for yourself. You have to make decisions for yourself. What are the best guardrails for me? Where, where am I gonna put the guardrail so I don't get too close to the line, wherever I think and believe the Bible teaches that line is? 
But whatever it is, the Bible lets us know that we should run from sexual immorality. And you can be a virgin and still be committing sexual sin. Catch that. You can be a virgin, not have had intercourse, but still have committed sexual sin. And and finding that line has to do with your heart and my heart, the lust that we're feeling in the moment, the actions we're taking, the precautions we're setting up. But here's the other truth. Nobody's perfect. Not one of us is perfect in these ways. And when, if and when you mess up, the idea isn't run from God, hide from God. The idea isn't hide from your small group leader or your 4640 pastors. The idea is just come and talk about it with God. Just say, hey, I blew it with my boyfriend last night. Go to him, go to the Lord, not away from the Lord. Talk to the Lord about the mistake, whatever it is, not hide from it. Because the Bible says, come, let us reason together. Even though the stain of your sin is red like scarlet, I will make it as white as snow. And sexual immorality or sexual sin is something God absolutely can and does forgive. But the idea is don't hide it. The idea is bring it to God, bring it to light, talk about it, put in the guardrails and figure out how are you gonna move forward? What's gonna be your next step towards purity? That next step matters. How are you gonna take it? Let's pray together. God, I pray for these students and their sex lives. I pray that someday they would have super awesome sex lives with incredibly fulfilling marriages and really awesome husbands and wives. I pray their wives would be kind and loving and smart and intelligent and hot. And I pray that their husbands would be the same. And God, that you would cause all of them to have godly men and godly women that they marry someday. And in the meantime, from now until them, then God, help them to wrestle with these issues and questions of purity. Help them to figure out how to live and how to walk and and how to come to you when they make mistakes as we all have and we all will. And God, we ask that you would just be with us and that you would bless our future romantic relationships or our current ones to be what you want them to be. Help us to become more and more the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.